Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Now, before we get into the show today, I've got to let you know, three years ago, my wife gave birth to our first boy, Charlie. Two years later, she gave birth to our second little man, Ollie. And despite how many warnings and despite how much advice I got before having kids, I didn't quite realize how much of a game changer having kids was to your life. People used to often say to me, yeah, having kids is the best thing you can ever do in your life. And it's the most challenging thing you can ever do in your life. And I used to think, man, you sound so ungrateful to have kids. Why did you add in that last part? It's just supposed to be the best thing ever. And then you have kids and you go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is the best thing ever. And this is the hardest thing of all time. (laughs) Since having kids, my wife specifically became obsessed with just learning to different people, uh, learning from different people in the world of parenting, hearing different voices speak about the challenges, the highs, the lows, the struggles, everything else that comes with being a parent. Now, naturally, by being around my wife on a regular basis, I'm exposed to so much of the information that she's been taking in over the last couple of years. And one thing I've learned is that some of the parents' podcasts are very bossy. They tell you, this is what you do, and this is why you do it, and it works for everyone. And then you realize quickly, that's not true. That didn't work for me at all, and that was terrible advice. And then other people have more of an open and honest conversation where they share their struggles, they share the highs, they share what works, they share why they think it works and why it didn't, and the failures, and everything else that comes into the world of parenting. And you go, ah, that's something I relate to. The guest on the show today is one of those from the second category. His name is Brooke Mosser, and he's a pastor from the United States, more specifically from Bend in Oregon, which is, if you haven't been there, one of the coolest places you could ever visit. I went there for a day last year when my wife and I were in the States. I had already decided if I ever moved to the States, I'm getting my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, who are currently in Medford, Oregon, and I'm dragging them up north. I think it's north. I mean, it's a little way away from where they are anyway, and we're all going to live there uh, as a happy little family. It's one of the coolest places in the world. What I love about this guy, what I love about this guy is he's got a specific heart for what the role of a father or a healthy father in a family is. Beyond that, he's interested in the role of men in society, how a healthy man can be such a great influence to having a healthy and flourishing society. This conversation, we talk about a broad range of things, including the initiation process that he's taking his oldest son, Duke, through, the process from uh, which leads him from being a boy into a man, led by a book called The Intentional Father by a pastor in the US called John Tyson. Uh, more than that, we speak about the primal pathway, what it is that a boy needs to do on his way to becoming a man. It was a really fun conversation. It also entails him talking about why he gave his 13-year-old son a tattoo, (laughs) one of the coolest strut stories in the whole world, and it definitely planted a seed as to what I'm going to do with my boy when he's 13. Really fun conversation. I like this guy. I mean, it doesn't matter uh, whether you agree with him, whether you disagree with him. He's got an ability to be able to share ideas in such a humble way where he's not coming at you with, hey, these are the answers, but just with these are thoughts and this is where I'm at at the moment. We also, Curveball, discuss some of our favorite comedians. Now, there's a lot of pastors that you can't speak openly about who your favorite comedians are because what they talk about is not what you talk about in church. Brooke is not one of those guys. I was very happy to hear that he had great taste in comedy and we spend the first few minutes of this conversation talking about our favorite comedians and why they are that You don't need to be a parent for this podcast to be valuable. You just need to be an aspiring parent or someone who's interested in how to raise young boys into healthy men. This guy does an incredible job of sharing just how to do that. It's a fun conversation. I think you're going to tell that we clicked. Welcome to the show for the very first time, 
Mr. Brooke Mossa. So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. The, the one way I didn't think we were going to start the conversation is around a conversation of our favourite comedians. I said, you're the first pastor to come on the show. Um, the, the, <laughs> the one thing that I probably would have held back from you was a number of my favourite comedians. And you just asked me, okay, right now, top three this month, who are they? And I answered, well... Number one, um, and I hope he wouldn't hear this because, I mean, I think he's got enough confidence as it is. Uh, uh, yeah. For the last month and the last five years, Ricky Gervais is, is right up there for me. Oh, he's, yep. I, I love the fact that he's so controversial. I love the fact that he, he, he says the things that you're not allowed to say, especially in Melbourne mm-hmm. and Bend. You're not allowed to say the things that he says. Oh, no. <laughs> he, he says the oh, things no. that are politically are, is, is very inappropriate, but he does it in such a fun way that I'm like, oh, it's so hard to be mad at you. <laughs> Um, yes, him, yes. I also, uh, right in that vein, I'll tell you a couple of the comedians I've seen here in Melbourne the last few months. Uh, Tim Dillon was another one. Uh, I okay. really enjoy him. Um, Louis C.K., who got, obviously got cancelled a few years ago, uh, but his comedy, man, like to to go in and watch him as a fan of comedy and just watch the way he structures jokes, watch him dance around and then go straight into the things you're not supposed to say. My my yes. personal preference for comedy and the people that I most admire are the ones who you would never admit to your friends at church unless you'd had two sure. beers, you were by yourself, <laughs> and you promised each other you'd never you'd never say it openly. But what about you, oh. bro? You said you're right into the scene as well. And, um, oh. I mean, speaking of uh, sharing these at church, I'm sure there's plenty of people that will be disappointed to, to hear a number of your Oh, feet. yeah, I hope so. No, you know, I think I, right before you are talking, and I want to say thank you for having me on the show and uh, honoured to connect with you. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it is interesting because um, when you are a person who wants to understand the world, I think – personally comedians do some of the best work of taking an idea and a thought and they bring it down to its essence and what i love about that is there's actually a lot of education in comedy in my personal opinion so i don't only find it funny i find it very educational because these are actually masters of the obvious they take these weird things within our culture and our time and they distill them in a really brilliant, smart way. Most comedians are geniuses. They're like just really smart people. So to answer your question, I think someone who has been making me laugh for the last couple of weeks is Tom Segura for sure. Uh, he has, he's, he's been really funny. A guy named Matt Reif. He's been really funny. Um, Chris DeStefano. Is it DeStefano's? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce yeah, his he, name, but I know the guy. I know yeah, the first he, oh, yeah. So he, dude, his stuff so so funny uh i can't i can't wait for you to what we're gonna do is you're gonna watch it and then you're gonna text me later and you're going to be thanking i know what you'll be doing you'll be thanking me for telling you about it but um yeah i'd say right now that's kind of where i'm at but i i just enjoy it's a way to disconnect but it's also a way to learn and obviously of course there's like i have lines and limits too there's certain (laughs) topics and certain things that uh get talked about where i'm like i just can't even i can't go there you know you skip some stuff but uh, in general, I would say that's that's where I'm sitting currently. That's cool. Tom Segura is a guy that I, I saw here probably, he must have been three or four months ago. He came to, it's called the- You, pa- you saw him live? Yeah, man. He came to the Palais Theatre, no which is in a, a place called St. Kilda here. This is what blows my mind with stand-up comedy as well is, and I don't know if it's the Joe Rogan factor. I'm not sure how these guys are getting such big profiles, but Tom Segura came to Melbourne. He did 
Uh, so the Palais Theatre seats 3,000 people. He did okay. two shows there on the Friday night and another two shows there on the Saturday night. On the, I don't know where he's based in the States, but the fact that he sold, what's that, like 12,000 tickets in Melbourne, does, there, wouldn't be, there wouldn't be any Australian comedians, I don't think, that are selling 12,000 <laughs> tickets on any weekend regardless, maybe with the exception yeah. of one or two, but even still probably not. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. He's, he's a genius. He, he started his set with, so speaking of taboos here in Australia, at the moment there's a lot of, uh, we're, we're getting ready to vote on, on what they call the voice, which is, I won't bore you with all the details, but essentially yeah. it's, a, it's a bureaucracy. It's a, a, from what I can understand, from what I can tell, we haven't heard a lot about it, but um, it's an opportunity for Indigenous Australians to have more of a voice in, in Parliament. Um, oh, interesting. And okay. The controversy okay. with that is uh, essentially there's quite a number of systems already in place um, that haven't been that effective. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But the one thing you're not allowed to joke about ever is is Indigenous Australians in Australia here in Melbourne. If you if you do, no matter how clever it is, no matter how many Indigenous Australians are absolutely pissing themselves laughing at it, doesn't matter. You're not allowed to do it. He came into uh, probably Melbourne's. I wouldn't say it's this far down the line, but it's on its way to being Portland in terms of its wokeness. Like yeah. it's, uh, it's given it a yes. big challenge. He came oh. into that environment and his first five minutes was just jokes that you're not allowed to say about <laughs> the Indigenous Australians. But he did it in such a way where I was sitting there, even me, who's free as gone, oh, this is the worst way to start your set here. Like I can't believe he's doing this. It was just silence. It was awkward. It was tense. And then all of a sudden he started to get to his punchlines and man, people! I've never heard three thousand people. Just it was like a relief, and it was hilarious the way he'd structured it and tied it all together. I'd always appreciated preachers it. as well. Like I like sitting down and listening to a good preacher and figure like that. They'll take you on a little <laughs> bit of a journey with their story, and you'll you'll somehow you yeah. start here and you go, "Hey, we're we're twenty five minutes into. How did we get here? It's all just sort of seamlessly <laughs> flowed together." So that communication fact has always been a, a real mm-hmm. interest of mine. But I also know that people in the church are nice. They'll laugh at jokes that don't deserve laughs. I remember when oh, I used to I preach, know. I used to sit down and I'd go, oh, I don't think I did well today. And my wife would go, what happened? I go, I barely got any laughs, which was a, a classic sign that I was probably <laughs> in the wrong industry. And then when I did get a laugh, I'd listen back to the tape and I'd go, oh, that, was a, that was a bad joke. And even now, if I listen to a preacher, I'd go, oh, mate, you didn't deserve the laugh you got. That's what oh, I love yeah. about the comedy world, yeah. No what most of the time people don't even realize comedy is about to happen the rooms that I'm doing it at. Mm-hmm. You just rock up, you, yeah. you interrupt people's dinner and you've got to perform. Otherwise it's just an awkward interruption to everyone's evening. So I love oh. the fact that it's such honest feedback. That's another thing that that just gets me pumped up about stand-up comedy is you just admit as a preacher, you kind of don't know if you're bombing. You kind of do, but you kind of don't. As a stand-up comedy, yes. it's like, all right, if people aren't laughing, you're you're not doing your job. And I love that room. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and the goals are so different, right? Like preaching is your goal is to hopefully introduce people to a soul changing agent, <laughs> and laughter is kind of like a laughter is used as a tool to break up the heavy stuff that you got to talk about, right? Like the strategy of humor is in a teaching anyway is to help people digest or take a mental break because you've been bombing them for twenty five to forty five <laughs> minutes with some intense stuff, so you. Well, and yeah, I think when people uh, aren't actually funny, but they just insert red jokes, that is a very sad day. <laughs> this is a sad day. So I appreciate that you are uh, in stand-up comedy, and I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I've, I haven't uh, got a chance to connect with an actual stand-up comedian, 
So this is also a huge gift for me. So I'm, I'm thankful. Oh, beautiful, man. Beautiful. I'm glad to be called an actual stand-up comedian as well. I'd be interested to know how many people in Australia agree with that at the moment. <laughs> it's, it's got a roll Dude, some dude from America thinks you're legit. So just leave it there. You know? <laughs> beautiful. Tweet about it. Tweet about it. Leave, man, yeah, leave it there. I, uh, I know I told you uh, how I introduced you, but for the purpose of everyone listening, uh, uh, we had our second boy 12 months ago, uh, Ollie, his name Congrats. is. We've got a three-year-old boy, Charlie. And I, I'd been amazed. It was, I mean, there's a bit to say here. But before we had kids, sure. my wife often laughed at the fact that she thought, okay, I want to have kids, but I can't imagine being maternal. And I kind of agreed with it. She's got a reputation of being like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't know her, she can come across a little cool. She can come across a little suave. The idea of like maternal, really nurturing, getting around a kid, it didn't surprise mm. me to hear her say that. I could see where she was coming from. What absolutely blew my mind is from the moment my my eldest boy Charlie was born, she's the most maternal person I've ever met, and she just became <laughs> obsessed with information about how to improve as a parent, so much so that it kind of threw me into the scene, me who I thought I had a pretty good idea of it. And then I'd watch her mm-hmm. just manage difficult situations where I was trying my best not to to hit a kid. She was having a conversation <laughs> with a two-year-old in a way that, uh, you know, it calmed the situation down in a way that almost made him like her more. And I go, okay, there's something to listen here, uh, something to learn here. And naturally mm-hmm. throughout our car trips, she's like, hey, let me let me just play uh, this podcast for you. I just want to play this snippet. And it became almost a running joke. I would get home and you were just constantly uh, on the phone through our kitchen bench. I would walk inside. I go, babe, is this, the, is this Brooke again? She's like, oh, babe, I can't, I can't, I can't stop. I just like, it's so helpful. And so, I mean, there's a, there's a lot I'm that I'm sorry. Just... <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel so bad already. I hate that. I'd hate that too. <laughs> Dude, I didn't hate it. Don't worry. I, uh, I definitely wouldn't have reached out for you for a conversation if I was hating it that much, but I, it became a running joke. I was like, this is unbelievable how much airtime you're giving these guys. Like what, what is it about it? And then she would sure. play me certain snippets. And, 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 I mean, as I've said, I've just laid a lot on the table, but I say all that to ask the fact that the scene that you're involved in is a very niche, very specific, but very, very, from our own experience, very powerful and um, incredibly inspiring. Um, what do you say? It's an encouraging uh, scene to be a part of based on the fact that you've got people who are speaking about the role of parenting or the role of you know, living intentionally around the family and being open and vulnerable about, hey, what's gone really well, but what also sucks. And so often <laughs> the things that suck, I, I feel bad about giving airtime to because I remember before we had kids, people would say to, I would ask people with kids, I'd go, like, what's it like being a, being a parent? And they'd go, it's the most rewarding thing in the world. And I was like, yeah. And they'd go, oh, but it's also the hardest thing in the world. And I was like, oh, you don't appreciate what you've got. Like, that's a horrible attitude. Like, it's rewarding. And, <laughs> and then I had kids and I go, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I totally mm. get it. Plane trips are hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. So, I don't even want to talk about planes. Yeah. Bro, let me throw this one at you as a way sure. of just getting this conversation rolling. How did you even find yourself in, in this specific scene? Oh, it's such a story of uh, complete and total denial and not wanting to be a part of this scene. So uh, as it starts, so I, I am a pastor by trade, meaning I, help people on their spiritual journey specifically in the like through the relationship with uh, Jesus is is how I would frame it 
Um, I like to say that I absolutely love Jesus, but when you actually like understand Jesus, Jesus was actually so normal and so cool. It's just his followers that are weird, man. Like a lot of those people just mess his whole reputation up. If you just read Jesus for Jesus, he's like partying, having really good food, taking naps, knowing the right moment to, to step out of a busy situation and be like, that's on you guys. Like I'm out. Um, knowing his responsibilities, having authority, but not being filled with himself. His whole dis- disposition and demeanor was to actually just serve people as a way of the best mode of leadership. I'm going to bless people or serve or lead people by serving them. Like, when you think about his way, like he's just a dude I would want to be friends with. And I think actually when we read the scriptures without all of that religiosity and all of that background and even that church hurt and all of that like noise, um, when we distill it down, I think Jesus is pretty rad. So I, I jumped on his team and decided to help people understand some of that. And so I've been a pastor for 18 years now and um which has been really fun. But I found myself in this church situation where we were part of these uh, different uh, healthy, but also larger churches. And I say larger, not to like drop a a random uh, bragging idea, but more rather to say like, that's a different thing than leading a small church. Because with a bigger church, you have all of these dynamics that are not represented necessarily in a local small church. And just if you're wondering which one I think is better, I'll just say I'm currently a part of a very small local church, which I love. Um, But big churches are beautiful. They have all these dynamics. And so as I was in it, I was kind of in this space where I was going, okay, well, what should I do with my life? I've been a pastor in churches. I'm teaching on Sundays. I'm helping people understand the way of Jesus. Um, But, you know, being a young man, I was like, I got to do my own thing. What's mine? What's the hill for me to climb? And so I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll plant a church. And so thinking of this idea of starting a new church from the ground up. And by the way, that's a crazy miss, almost arrogance on my side to think, oh yeah, I could just jump, fall into a city and start a church and it will go well. Like these are the, these are the things disconnected to reality. Talk about humor, right? (laughs) Um, So disconnected from reality, but all that said, I ended up getting into this this process of church planting. And my wife and I were literally at a, a larger church that had resources to send us out to go plant churches um, and to plant a church. And we had like two years committed resources and a team. And um, the long story short is my third daughter got really sick. Uh, she had something called infantile spasms where at six months old, she basically developed these uh, catastrophic seizures. It's a catastrophic form of epilepsy where every time she'd have a seizure, it'd cause long-term permanent brain damage. And so we were like picking up the pieces of that and trying to figure out, okay, what is our life going to be? Um, walking through that crisis. And then on top of that, uh, we had a fourth child. So I have four kids and we just looked at each other. I remember the night we looked at each other and we're like, there's no way we were planting a church. And the two places we were planning on planting a church were Seattle or New York. Two places that no family of four should be just, you know, parachuting in and starting a church. And so what happened was um, my mother and father-in-law, who we do this this uh, nonprofit with, uh, they started this nonprofit called Intentional. And it was all about helping families. And they basically said, you know, we think you and your wife, their daughter, like we think you and Elizabeth would be great at at this. And we think you should do this with us. And I was like 
no, like not at all. I don't want to be the family guy. I feel disqualified to be a dad. I'm like, I'm the guy yelling at my kids. I'm like barely holding it together. And you want me to help other people do this? Like I can barely get through a night. Like bedtime is literal torture every night. And I think every, every bedtime, I'm like, I'm going to do better tomorrow night. I do worse, right? Like bedtime brings out any demon that has been in my, in my life, any trauma that's lived in my body, it comes out of bed. So, you know, I felt very disqualified to do that. And so I immediately said, no, like, I'm not interested in that. And they said, well, just think about it. Would you even just, you know, consider praying, thinking? So I did. And over time, the idea kind of became like, mm, maybe uh, to like, wow, there, there could be something to this. Although I still didn't feel, you know, qualified to do it. I also felt uh, really passionate about it because I saw the need. I saw the need in my own life, having so many conversations with my friends who were just struggling on the day to day. And one thing that I could not find, and I don't know how you feel about this. I'd love to hear what you think, but um, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what parenting books do you read? What books on fatherhood do you read? What books on marriage do you read? And my answer outside of a few books that aren't on marriage and aren't on parenting is none. I don't read any of them. And it's not because I don't think they probably add value. It's that the tone of most parenting books and the tone of most marriage books is usually shame-based. And if you do these five things, it will be fine. But that doesn't equate to like who you are, who your wife is, who your kids are. And so I would find like they would give me the five things. I would try to apply them and it would blow up in my face. And I'd be like, what in the world is this? Like, why, why isn't this working? And so I just started to realize like maybe there is um, a way to contribute that isn't this traditional way that we see. And so I just was really interested in like helping dads be dads and helping marriages because I know my marriage is hard. I don't know about your marriage, Tyson, but my marriage is hard. I think anybody that's married would go, marriage is hard. Uh, Being a parent, the hardest thing I've ever done by like a long shot And most people tell me all their successes, but that doesn't help me at all. And so I started just being like, okay, well, I'm happy to talk about this, but I don't want to do it from a place of strength. I'd rather do it from a place of vulnerability and weakness. I'd rather share what I'm not good at and share that I'm trying to learn. And here's some random stuff that I'm picking up along the way that seems to be helping. Or to be honest, like I tried that and it blew up in my face. So that's kind of where it started. That's how I found myself here. And sorry for that long tangent, but that's that's where the heart and desire came and then i can give more details but essentially once we ended up getting into it we started to see like whoa there's i think we're not the only ones that are feeling this need i think there's other people that sense this as well for sure for sure man that's no, a great answer no no no, uh, no apologies required for for tangents on this podcast i'm the king of them <laughs> okay go oh, that's right you told me that okay i'll have a lot more then <laughs> perfect um Man, there's a few things there you've, you've picked up on. The first thing uh, that, that I, I noticed from what you said and noticed in a big way is that strength approach to this parenting. thing. We've done a couple of courses just with um, like through the church that we're going to. We've got a couple of friends there that we've said, all right, well, once a week, let's catch up. And uh, I mean, uh, this is coming from my mouth, not yours. So I don't want to get you in trouble. But we started doing some of the love and logic courses, which were really popular. Um, it heard good things about it. And I'd watched... I watched like two or three of the tapes and I was like, this is, it felt, it felt like this weird, passive fake. I could just, I, the vibe I got, and this is pure <laughs> projection. It's probably just me being a jerk. 
I just I felt yeah. like I could just see the dollar signs going across the screen. I'm like, this doesn't feel legit. This looks like a really great way to make a lot of money based on how many books and stuff you're selling. But you know when there's a, there seems to be a disconnect between the body language and the words? I'm like, what's sure. happening here? I was watching that and I was like, no, this isn't for me. And then sure. uh, uh, to your point about uh, just certain strategies being the, the go-to, I often find it, I often refer to parenting advice like this. You, you ask people about the, the, best, the best diet to go on and some people are adamant that veganism is the best. Like you've got to be a vegan, like it's good for yeah. you, it's good for the environment, it's good for animals, it's just a win, win, win. And some people thrive on that. And then the flip side of that at the moment, I'm sure there's plenty of these guys in Bend, but um, it is the carnivore diet where it's like, no, no, you can only oh, sure. eat meat. Like don't touch a vegetable. <laughs> Vegetables are so 2007. <laughs> And then for me, I seem to be somewhere right in between where it's like, okay, like I I don't know if you've heard of the book The Blue Zones, but it's this this book by a guy called Dan Buettner who he he looks at a number of the oldest, healthiest cultures or people in the world and he he kind of just tries to, this is for the people listening, just dig into the uh, parts of their life that might be adding to their longevity because they're not just old, they're healthy for a long time. And yeah. it not only is sort of diet and exercise and family and faith a big part of it, but all of these other areas. So it's like, okay, it's not as black and white as we like to make it. There seems to be a couple of intersecting no. factors. And and that's exactly what I've found here. I'll hear some advice. I'm like, nah, that's like that's good advice for a kid who who is young and doesn't kick and punch and bite. But they're the struggles that I'm dealing with at the moment. I'm trying to know, like, I just oh. want to figure out how to stop my kid getting his cousin in a headlock and making her cry so we can enjoy the family holiday. Like, how do I, how do, I do that without, without just knocking him out and going to prison? Like, please show me that. Oh. And then it's just a, it's a wild thing. I actually had this sitting here because this has been, like, one of the best books um, that I've come across by John Tyson, The Intentional Father. It was gifted to me a little while ago, and I was going to ask you. I can tell by the way you nod in your head that you've seen it, probably read it quite a few times. Um, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, man? Because this has been, as a bit of a guidebook for myself, something that I've I've had sort of on my uh, bedside table for for a year and a half, or, t- or probably two years. Yes. Well, um, before I answer that question, just to to touch on what you said, you know. I like so intentional, the nonprofit we lead. We're all about spiritual formation in the family, but we're not parenting experts. And so I think the difference between what we're trying to accomplish is I'm not trying to tell you, uh, hey, if you just do this with your kid, it's going to be fine. I'm actually more interested in helping you as a parent. I'm more interested in helping parents, right? So my job is actually to sit down with you, Tyson, sit down with your wife. And sure, share with me, why is your kid biting? Well, I I could tell you some stuff that, you know, I know we try, but I could also tell you like, that's going to make you probably really angry. And then you're probably going to respond in all these sorts of ways that are going to unintentionally bring about that behavior and reinforce it. And so I'm, I'm more interested in saying, let me, let me tell you how I've learned through painful mistakes, uh, how to keep my cool when my child's freaking out and wanting to kill another human, right? Like, how do we do that? And then how do we reinforce what we're trying to, you know, so I, I'm not a behavior specialist. I'm not a parenting expert. I, I do love human psychology and I do love helping people. So I think that's, that's also part of the difference is I'm not going to attack that from the same angle as maybe a parenting expert would. Um, but you know, as a, as a connection to the intentional father, so I know John, he's a good friend and he's 
Um, I love, I, before he released the book, it was so funny. I was in New York with him and he said, hey, he's Australian too. He says, hey, mate, I just want you to know my editor just came back and they said they want to name the book The Intentional Father. So I don't mean to like, and our, our nonprofit is called Intentional. He's like, so I'm not trying to like step on your toes, but like, are you cool with that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're cool with that. I mean, like we don't have a, a trademark on the name, right? Like, sure. And if we get lumped into, you know, there's certain people you don't want to be lumped in with. He's doing great work in the world, so happy to be lumped in. I'm actually talking with him in a couple of weeks. He's going to be on our podcast again. But he um, – so I actually – so I'm so glad you have that. So I have four kids. I have one boy who is now 14 and then three girls uh, who are 11. So I have Duke who's 14, Scarlett, Birdie, and Sloan. And so I have one boy, and he talks about something called the primal path, which is awesome. And I, he's done a lot of work around that. You're familiar, obviously, with the primal path. Um, and you have two boys, you said, right? Yeah. So are you thinking about doing this with them when they get a little bit older? Yeah. There's a group of guys at the church I go to who we're, we've got boys around the same age. We're, we're really keen to, to do something together. So let me tell you, dude. I, so last year we started on this journey. So I'm shaking my head. Yeah. Like, because um, I think this is another great example of like, take a framework and make it yours. Uh, John's going to tell you in that book from his disposition, what is really helpful and what he did. But you have to remember, he's a high capacity New York pastor who has also got all these different skills and also different limitations because of where he's at in the world, where he lives, what he does. So I think just, again, take the framework, take the ideal, apply it to your life. I think that's the best advice I could give. But we did this with my son and his ceremony was so fun and interesting. If you want, I can go into the details on this, but it was like, it was such a fun experience. So I gathered like 12 of my dear friends who I wanted to be involved in this process. And the idea is you're picking 12 guys that, or, you know, 10, 12, five, however many dudes that you want him to in some way emulate. Like you, you admire this person because they have a different gift than you, or you think if my son turns out like that guy, I'm absolutely happy about it. Um, this also includes in-laws or, you know, family that you would want in his life. So we go to this this hike. We all gather together. He knows it's happening. He knows that there's a ceremony happening, but he knows no details whatsoever. So we get to the head of this trail, and I take out you know hair clippers, and I just basically say, we're starting fresh, bro. You're ready for the primal path adventure. And he's like, what? And so I just, on the trail, just shave his head all the way, just immediately. He had no idea. You know, everyone's filming it. Everyone's laughing. His cousins are there. His two cousins who are uh, in Primal Path as well, they're like, dude, this is so epic. You know, they're just freaking out, <laughs> loving it. So we shave his head. Then we we do a two-mile hike, and I don't know how many kilometers that is, but a two-mile hike into um, this place in Bend, which I, I know you were at last year, so I'm not sure if you went, but it's called Blue Pool. And it is a, a little pool of water that's 30 feet deep, and it's 37 degrees year-round. So it never freezes over, but it is always 37 degrees. So it's like a, a real-life cold plunge. And so we, we hike two miles in. We hike down to this pool. And as a way, you know, like a, a visceral way to, like, remember something, everyone on the count of three jumps in. So we all jump in. Everyone is just hyperventilating, like, oh, my God. Some guys are, like, used to it. Other guys are, like, getting out as fast as they can. Like, grown men just – almost crying it's so funny but everyone jumps in that was the one requirement 
And I mean, it was just so bonding and refreshing. Everyone was laughing. Some dudes were like, that was so intense. I almost died. You know, all that stuff. And so then, you know, then we hike back out and we do a big meal together in a bonfire and we get there and we do this big bonfire. And the whole, the whole point of that time was really about gift giving. So we do this thing called gift giving. And then also just like who we see my son becoming. So these were men that had some involvement in his life and had enough involvement to go, I can see this in you, or this is something I see currently and something I can see in you. Um, and man, what 13 year old kid that has 10 to 12 adult males that he respects, giving them their undivided attention and just pouring it. It's the coolest thing. It's the coolest thing. So everyone's giving him gifts, like some are a knife, like here, this knife, I, I learned uh, to cook. And this was like super helpful to me. And this was like super helpful in my manhood, my journey to manhood. So I'm giving you this knife as a representation. Um, so a bunch of gift giving and then a bunch of like words of affirmations, who we see him to be. Um, unfortunately, six months before this happened, my dad, my dad passed away. So Duke's grandfather passed away. And so before he died, I knew that this was coming for Duke, that he was going to be 13. And I actually recorded my dad saying what he believed my son to be. And, and he had no idea. Duke had no idea. So I said, Hey, you know, your, your grandpa's not able to be here, but he still has words for you. You know, like it was the most powerful, amazing moment to go, wow. Like from, from death, you know, to life, it was really cool. Um, so that was like really an intimate thing. But then we also, I also had a friend um, come in who's a tattoo artist and she does stick and poke tattoos. And we all got matching numeral uh, Roman numeral five tattoos. So my son who was 13 was getting a little Roman numeral five. You'll see it's just a little Roman numeral five. He got this on his arm. Um, and we, cause we wanted to mark the moment forever and talking his mom into this was fun, by the way, that was really fun, <laughs> but she, she understood the process. And then his cousins, uh, Jude and Mo. Um, who are in this, and then their dad, John Mark, they we're, we're all in this together. So they actually all got the same tattoo. So we're all sitting there at the ceremony getting an actual stick and poke tattoo. Um, and it's been one of the most bonding, you know, things to do. So that was the ceremony ongoing. It looks like reading books together. It looks like uh, family trips of, of history of like, here's where you came from. It looks like intentional formation to help him become good at being a man. So that's what the primal path is. It's this intentional moment from boyhood to manhood. And it's you as a dad taking that responsibility and really going, okay, I'm going to, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to do it just like Brooke or John or anyone else does, but I do want to be like, Hey, there's a process from you going from a boy to a man. And it's a really fun process. So all I can say to you, Tyson is do it. It is so fun. Uh, the relationship build with your son is massive. Like when your son feels that much of your attention and your focus and like, whoa, dad's putting me through this process with him to like become a man. Like there's nothing more bonding than that. So anyway, I, I think it's a great gift. So yes, John Tyson, the intentional father, very good stuff. Yeah. Awesome, man. What What's the significance of the five? So it's the five shifts to manhood. So John actually lays it out in his book. Um, but it's, you know, going from, uh, taking to giving, I'm not going to say them all right now because I don't actually have them in front of me, but he has the five shifts to manhood. And it's basically the idea of you're moving from immaturity to maturity. And there's five specific things. One of the things we're going to be doing this summer is just memorizing those things and then talking about them more and unpacking them. So we haven't gotten to that yet, but 
yeah, it's the shifts of going from a boy to a man, how you know that you're from a boy, you're, you're actually now, now from a boy to a man. So, um, that's, that's what the five shifts are. That's what the tattoo represents. Man, I'm so excited about the, the whole process. Everything that you just mentioned from, I think actually in his book, John Tyson refers to the idea of like a cold plunge. The tattoo, I've already taken a oh, mental yeah. note. I love that. Like the idea of my kid just getting into secondary school and being the first kid to have a tattoo. I love that. <laughs> it's been really fun. He's been, it's funny how many kids don't believe him. They're like, you're just making it up. He's like, I'm not making it up. I didn't even know I was getting a tattoo. My dad told me I had to get it. And he loves it. Like, I didn't tell, I didn't force him. He, I said, do you want to do this? He's like, oh yeah, he wanted to do it. That's so good. So, yeah, man. It's, a, yeah. it's something that's really exciting to me. It was something I was keen to pick your brain about a little bit because um, the, the idea of any focused approach to to being a parent, I'd never really heard of. I've got a great relationship with with both of my parents, despite the fact they separated when I was two. Uh, my dad lived in okay. a different state. I'm in Victoria. He was in South Australia. <clears throat> I'm 36 now. Me and him get on great, but we didn't see each other that much growing up. We spoke regularly. He was always there for the important stuff. But in terms of the approach that I want to take, uh, which sounds like mm-hmm. it's right on par with you uh, being guided by by this book um, with the name that should have been copyrighted, uh, i'm gonna tell him i'm gonna tell him it's exciting to me i'm over here you can't do anything um yeah yeah, it's a but i guess uh, what what's your sort of motivation for that like what because the modern father i've got a lot of friends here who have nothing to do with the church that i would say they're doing a great job of being a dad trying to balance the the struggles or the challenge of work and fitness and family commitments and whatever it else it is you know better than anyone with four kids I mean I, I feel like two is impossible sometimes uh, you chuck everything else from your life into into the basket of what needs to be done and all of a sudden if you don't have your priorities in check you can see how you know the day will go by and you, you've seen your kid for five minutes before they go to school or, or kinder or whatever it is. But, but from your perspective, why is it that you've decided to take this primal path? Like what is it that you're trying to create in not only all your kids, but I guess the, with, with Duke specifically because he's already started yeah. the, uh, the path? You know, I, I feel that men are incredibly important to our culture. And more than ever, there's a demonization of men in general because, which is true, there's been a lot of men that have done some really bad stuff. They get the majority of the press, but nonetheless, I think men in general are under attack. And I think what the world needs is good humans, but specifically good men. And there's a difference between men and women, uh, in my personal opinion, <laughs> and biblically. And it's back to a really funny comedian. Um, what's his name? Why am I blanking on it? He just, uh, Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, just he came out with this whole thing about like, you know, gender is fact. And it was so funny because again, like it's educational. What he's saying is so smart. It's really funny. It's also very true and very smart. So I don't need to get into gender issues right now, but the point of just saying like, there are good men that develop these characteristics that can help change the world. And similarly, bad men can destroy the world in a deep way. And so I have seen um, a couple of things recently that have given me even more passion for this. I'll give you just two quick stories. The first is from, it's not my own, but it's a, a news story of a man, a handful, uh, a man who was deranged, who went on another shooting spree. I can't remember the state because unfortunately they're happening so often, but essentially uh, someone who was really upset 
he had an assault rifle. He walks into a bar. Um, and this is a, an example of a bad man, a man that's using his strength to destroy the world. So he walks in, he starts shooting. And there's this story um, that, that goes in there and forgive the vagueness of it all. But these, uh, these two men see this happening and one picks up a table and just runs at the man, right? And then there's another, the other man is putting his hands over this group of uh, younger men and then women and getting them out, like shoving them out this window as fast as he can, getting them to safety. And in that instance, you know, you see a picture of two different types of men, one man using his strength to destroy the world and the other saving people and lives and literally laying their lives down for the good of other people. Uh, If I ask you, Tyson, who is a good man, would you push your child out of the way and get hit by a car or a bullet or any moving thing? Would you push them out of danger uh, if that was like an actual scenario? Your answer would be Yes. Would you think about your pain? No. Would you think about what that meant for you? No. You would literally do it without thinking. You don't even think about this. And this is what good men do. And so I started realizing one of the best gifts I can give the world, but also give my son is to to be good at being a man. And when you have good men in the world, more good can happen. Now, of course, good women are a part of this, but we're highlighting the male factor, right? Um, but I think there are so many opportunities for us to raise healthy women and healthy men. Um, and that's what we're doing. We're raising these like next generations of people. And I think that's a really important job that we kind of just go, well, the TV can help. Hopefully teachers can help. Hopefully some good parenting tips can help. But if we took that job seriously, I think not only would our lives be changed like in our homes, but also the world would be changed in a deep way. The other story, which is interesting, is on 4th of July this year, we're celebrating America's birthday by being in a river <laughs> and we're swimming. We have some friends in town and they have three kids. One of their daughters is 11. The other one is thir- the son is 13. We all jump in to this river. Now, the water's flowing, but not too fast. But there's a spot that as you're flowing down the middle of the river, you have to swim off to the side. You have to turn to the side and you have to swim out of the current because if not, you will just continue to float and you'll keep going. And so we had this talk. You know, it was very clear. Everyone jump in the water. It's going to be cold. But when you get to this spot, turn your body and start swimming the other way. Everyone cleared. We're all good swimmers. You know, everyone gave a thumbs up. The dad said they're great. So we all jump in. My kids are used to this because I do this with them often. His kids were not. And they jump in and the first kid, the son, just starts grabbing on his dad, like pushing him underwater. So he's trying to help him and (laughs) he pushes him over the side. His sweet little girl keeps going. And so I get out and I see her going and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's in shock. She's really cold and she's, she's been swimming really hard. So she's losing her strength, but she's in the middle of the river and she is deep and she is not getting out of this. So I'm like any dad, you know, I jump in to, to just like, I jump in absolutely to, to go help her. Well, I'm, I'm in the water and she, I get to her and she's cold and she basically has stopped trying to swim. So I'm trying to hold her up, but the water's moving and I'm trying to get us to move over to the, the right side to get out of the current. And I immediately see there's only open water and it's deep. She is not really swimming. And now she's pulling on me. And I realized within a split second that this is really bad. As I realized this, I see two guys on the shore and I passed them. And I just said, guys, I need your help now. And that's all I had to say. And within a split second, 
two of these guys were in the water faster than I could even like finish the sentence. They saw what was going on. They come over, they grab her, they, they, they got her off of me. So I was able to, to go and swim to the side. And within seconds, everything that could have been a disaster was okay. And that is an example of why I want to do primal path is because I want my son to know that without a shadow of a doubt, his life is not only for yes, his good, but it's also to be like Jesus in the sense that he serves others and that he doesn't have to think about helping people. It's just a natural reflex of his heart. Man, two really cool stories. That's um, <laughs> crazy. Oh, dude. Yeah, it, it's funny. You forget that. I was, I was watching this random clip on Instagram a, a couple of months ago, and it was like a, an apartment fire up on the fifth or sixth story, and it was pumping. And there, for whatever reason, there was like a four or probably a three or four-year-old kid hanging onto a rail, just dangling over the concrete. People are looking out like, crap, what do we do? They're getting at the bottom. They're going, all right, we try and catch him. Then one absolute beast of a bloke, absolutely ripped, goes over, jumps on the fence of the first apartment. It does, I don't know how high it was. It was a good leap. It leaps up, grabs the rail of the one above, pulls himself up like a big muscle up, does this for five five of the rows, gets the kid, somehow holds the kid with one hand, manages to get back down, and the the the... <sighs> description of the video was like this is why we work out and there's certain stories (laughs) there's certain stories like that where to to steal your words people use their strength for incredible purposes and just i I feel almost emotional just hearing that story about the uh the seven-year-old girl going down the the river because i i can imagine the response of those two guys and i know that any decent bloke does that like and for whatever reason there's a a reputation uh, well not for whatever reason you you said there's there's good reasons why people are painted in a particular light because there's also the flip side of that coin, which is the uh, negative use of that strength. But when it's good, mm-hmm. it's good. And why wouldn't you want to funnel your kids towards that? But um, with, with Duke, like I, I've obviously got the the guidebook here and a little bit of an overview mm-hmm. of how John Tyson recommends it. You mentioned that you, you, you initiated the, or you kick-started the initiation with the shaved head, the cold plunge, the positive words. That's a powerful one uh, from your dad as well, unbelievable um, mm-hmm. from from this point on over the next few years, have, have you got like a bit of a loose structure? Like what books are you showing him? What are you reading him? What are mm-hmm. you teaching him? Where are you going? Sure. Oh, yes. That So all of that's really good. So again, this is why I, I really am passionate about the idea of taking that, that uh, idea or that framework and making it your own. So I am a planned person to a degree. But spontaneity is life to me. So there's a part of this where I could tell you, I could roughly tell you, Tyson, where I'm planning on going. But will we actually do all that stuff? And will we end up probably doing more? The answer is yes on both. There's some of that stuff I'm sure we'll do. But I actually think in the moment, I'm more of a spontaneous person and we'll end up probably doing more than if I were to sit and plan it out. Now, planning is helpful, but to only to an extent with my personality. So my son is dyslexic. So he does love reading, but it's a challenge for him. So we, he actually does a lot of audiobooks. So the, the last book we just uh, listened to, he listened to, and I actually had listened to as well as something called Stolen Focus. That's a book by a guy named Johan Hari. I don't know if you've heard of this I, book. I've read the book, but, yeah. Oh, you've read it. Okay, so yeah. So what I'm trying to do with that, so what, what am I doing? Like the question is, why would you have your son read Stolen Focus? I want him to understand the psychology of what social media screens, technology, the world that we're living in. I want him to understand what it's actually doing to him, 
his attention span and how to be proactive to be a man that can go like, I can enjoy technology, but I need to have certain things. In our house, we have something called a digital rule of life. That's just basically a way in which we have decided as a family of how we're going to interact with technology. I think you need to have that if you're a, a human and you can put whatever on you want on that list. But I do think you need to have something like that because if not, it's like an endless black hole. It's a, it's like a well, you just throw something down there and it just keeps going and go, you could get lost in this forever. And so I want him to understand what this does to his brain. And then I want him to understand how to interact with this stuff in a, in a healthy way. So uh, we, we, you know, he listened to it. He was actually so keen on it that he ended up listening to the whole thing within like two days. And then we sat down and we just had a great debrief about it. So, you know, what came up for you? What was interesting? What do you think about that? Do you think this is true? Do you think this guy is just a biased reporter or a, a biased journalist? And, and he's like, no, I see so much of what he's saying within my friends and within this world. So, um, so I would say reading is a big part, you know, educating him on the world and then practical stuff today. Uh, there was a car that needed to be jumped and, you know, you had to put jumper cables and connect the battery to the battery. So I was like, dude, this is a great, like, I know you probably vaguely know how to do this, but this is yours. I want you to do it like simple stuff. Right. And I'm not going like, this is primal path. I'm going to teach you this. Some dads listening to this or men <laughs> listening to this are like, yeah, we do this in our sleep. Sure. But like, I don't always have those overlaps because of what I do. So I end up trying to just be very thoughtful about whatever I can uh, to teach him things, to pass them on. So um, I, I wish I had more of like, oh, yeah, we're going here in 2027. But I, I just don't know yet. So I think we'll have some stuff. But I'll have to have another chat with you when I get to those stages. Yeah. Have you, um, have you read Digital Minimalism? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great book. Yes. Anything around technology and how it affects your brain, uh, I I personally am just interested in um, and and interested in helping others because it's such a real thing. You know, it's like it's easy to think that this isn't actually uh, affecting us, but so many of us are digitally addicted and chronically distracted and and we're not even aware of it. You know, we're just like, well, yeah, I'm talking to you while looking at my phone because that's what I do. And how, you know, honestly, see how long you can get away with that with your spouse. If you're married, try that. Like, see how that goes. Just constantly looking at your phone while having a conversation. The the subtle, you know, miscommunication is massive. So learning that, learning how to deal with that, I'm in the same boat as you and anyone else. Like, I'm easily distracted. So yeah, I'm trying to combat some of that. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, focused on that area that's an area that i personally need i've read both of those books i know how valuable um having some rules and and restrictions uh, around your use of technology is but i also am a sucker for a dopamine hit and at the moment i mean my my kryptonite is instagram like a lot of us like i'll open my phone and see that logo and i was like i know i know there's not going to be that much there but what if there is but um (laughs) it's interesting as well even my three-year-old boy and I'm fairly conscious when I'm with him. I'm, I'm not fairly conscious. I'm, I'm very conscious not to be on my phone. Um, but every now and then I'll, I'll take it out. And I'll like yesterday, he just learned how to kick a, a Australian football, like a proper kick. I was so proud. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was pumped. So I took out my phone and I started to film. And after about a minute and a half, he goes, put your phone away. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. And he said that to me a few times that whenever I have that phone out in front of him, there's something even in a three-year-old kid where he's like, ah, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't want that. Don't do that. And I don't know the reason uh, uh, for for him wanting it away, but I I can imagine it's just my attention's fully on him when that phone's in my pocket Mm -hmm. and I'm watching what he's doing. 
have you got any rules for yourself around, oh, I mean, that's a silly question, but what are your rules for yourself and how do you go with following them when it comes to technology uh, in your own life? Oh, man, that's a, well, I, I would say one practical thing that I, I did mention is we have a digital rule of life and you can call it a digital uh, guideline. If you hate the word rules, you can, whatever. The point is that you decide how much technology you will and won't have. And that's not because, you know, being legalistic, it's just, it's just smart. When you learn what this does to your brain and your body and your relationships, it's a very easy thing to say, it needs to have some uh, parameters. Like you have parameters around alcohol, you have parameters around drugs, you have parameters around all these sorts. This is, this has some of the same effects, you know? So I'm not an expert on it, but also I, I do live in the world currently. So I know how it feels. Um, so I'd say that that's a big one. Um, a second one would be, you know, uh, when I get home, I put my phone and I put my keys in a drawer and that's where they live. Um, I will check my phone after dinner for work texts and things like that. Um, but pretty much after that, if I'm around the family, my phone's not around. Um, it's never at the dinner table. Um, and that's just easier for me, right? Like I am easily distracted. I don't trust myself. So I just put it away. And, you know, visual cues, you'd be so surprised. Um, visual cues are like 80% of the problem. So if you don't see it, that's 80% of the work, you know, like just if your kids are struggling with watching TV and always wanting to watch TV, take your TV off the wall and watch what happens. Like we did this, my family actually did this where our kids were asking all the time and we just took it down for a season to see what happened and we put it in our closet and the asking went down like 90%. It was bizarre. Now, we still did like family movies and different things, but it took like that edge away. Um, so the visual cue is huge. I put it away. And then I would just say some real practical rules, which I think most people need to have or have. I mean, people are doing this all the time, but, you know, no phones at dinner. And when you're out with your spouse, if you can leave it in the car, you know, have one phone uh, and you can keep it, you know, away. Um and then I, tr you know, I wish, I wish I had better boundaries around like once the kids go to bed, I feel like once the kids go to bed, it's like, I'm ready to chill. Oh. And so that's like, that's like one of my favorite times because that's when I'm like following it, like laughing at a comedian or watching something that I've been wanting to watch because the day's been so full. And so, I mean, ideally I would say, yeah then go to bed in a dark room that's 68 degrees and sleep for 10 hours and then wake up in cold, you know, and all the ideals that people tell you, but that's not my reality. And I think that's actually a pretty, a fictitious one for most. So I give myself permission. My wife and I, we watch something or, or I'll watch something. And that's a way for me to actually come down. And so I've learned, like, I'm not demonizing it. It's a way that I actually, I use technology in that space to intentionally come down a little bit uh, it never affects my sleep. It never affects my um, rest. I can fall right asleep. If it did, I would totally have different rules, but it's a relaxing thing for me. So that's a, a long-winded answer, but I would say, yeah, that's some of the stuff I'm attempting to do. And that might be different next week. We'll see, but I, that's stuff I'm trying now. Yeah, man, isn't it funny? You, you said earlier about bedtime routine and how it just brings out the worst <laughs> in you. Your house must be, I'm hoping Duke's sleeping well. The other three, a little bit. Yeah. What was your What was your youngest story? She's five. Ah, oh, so you guys, I, I look at you. You guys are in the uh, in the promised land, so to speak. To <laughs> in the sense that you've got kids who are uh, you've got kids who are yes. I don't know. I, I I've heard that the challenges change, but man, like when my boys are in bed, the moment I say good night and I go out, there's 
an automatic exhale. I just feel my whole body decompress. But what's so it funny, does. I don't know how you go with this. Once I've put them down and go to do my chill-out time, if I hear the word dad or mum, I'm like, hey, Tyus, keep it together, man. Like, keep it together. Yeah. And unfortunately <laughs> for my own my own character development, happens more often than I'd like to admit. Most of the time, our challenge is in the morning. We've got, I don't know if you guys ever use this, we've got like a sheep and it's got a clock face on the side of it. Red means you're sleeping. Orange means you're getting up in 30 minutes. Green means we have it. Let's yep. go. Yep. <laughs> let's we have go. it. Yeah. Oh, we have it. Yep. My boy goes through phases of, of of perfectly understanding the sheep. He understands red means sleep. I don't yell out. Orange means, okay, I can, uh, that's usually, we've, we've slept. It means turn on your lights and read books. But now just this morning, I'll get up and I go, okay, it's books time. He's like, no, I don't like my, he doesn't like his options. I want a different book. I go, okay, we're going to have to go back and create some new boundaries because you're starting to make dad look silly. Like these are, you've got 43 books to choose from, which might be the problem. And um, if you don't want to read about a rabbit or a pig, I mean, like, what else have I got for you? Nothing else is going to be interesting. Oh, sure. And they just seem to have a way of, of, my, my older boy now, he's started doing this thing. He's like, no, I need mama. And I go, oh, and he says it in such a sweet way that I go, oh, you need mama. Like, of course you get mama. I'll go wake her up for you, buddy. That's fine. It's 2 a.m. You need her. He's getting you to do the dirty work. <laughs> so, oh, um, dude, he's smart. Oh, he's dude, smart. How, how wildly smart are they? Just with the, the oh, absolute yeah. – I wrote in my journal last night or my, my little comedy book. I was just freestyling. And I was talking about how, like, it's just such a narcissistic personality, isn't it? Like the age of one to, to be fair, I'm 36 and still have moments. <laughs> but especially, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, welcome to the club, man. <laughs> that first 10 years, I go, oh, you are playing us against each other. Um, yes. So I don't know how you guys navigated that, but just watching the the ways that they can wiggle out of difficult situations that they're not happy with is uh, is, is quite commendable. It's amazing. Well, and I think, you know, if there's one thing I could say that's very helpful, which you will never regret, is start a story bank. And what I mean by that is like have a note app and just write story bank at the top and write down anything that your kids say. And I mean, my list is insane. Like the other night, the other day, my my five-year-old literally just at dinner just says, hey, so why am I an orphan? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, sweetheart, uh, you're sitting at a table with a nuclear family. Uh, You don't know what that word means. You're not an orphan. (laughs) Why am I an orphan? Like this is stuff. Like the other day, like someone overheard me say this and I realized I, I had heard myself I literally say to my girls from across the room because I they were pretend choking at church, and I was like, "Girls, like, can we can we please stop this whole pretend choking thing? Stop! Can we just stop that?" And someone's like, "The things you have to say to kids." I was like, "I know, I this is my life, you know." So, like, let's not play choke. I think is what I said, uh-huh. <laughs> like just pretending to choke, which was a terrible game. I was just like completely fight or flight. Like, what's happening? They're dying. <laughs> Nope, it's a game. Uh, my, um, uh, my boy goes in the bath the other day. I shouldn't say this one publicly. My wife will kill me, but it was so funny. I'll tell you. Um, I'm sure everyone listening. Yeah, no one else will hear this. No yeah. one else will yeah. hear it in the whole world. Um, he's sitting in the bath the other day, and he goes, can I watch TV when I get out of bath? I go, nah, buddy, it's bedtime. He goes, okay, I'll just play with my willy instead. I go, wait. <laughs> Dude. I mean, I thought I thought when you were Duke's age, you would be having this conversation, but at the moment, it seems it seems young. 
It, oh, I mean, it, it just, seems a little young to have this combo. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely. Wild. I mean, when you're a kid, it's. I mean, let's. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know those things are interesting. They're just interesting on all levels. So I mean, <laughs> that yeah, but I mean, it's stuff like that. I think when you can remember all these things, and I, you know, to your point of writing stuff down, like they say things that are just so comical and so fun. And I think there's, you know, kids having kids is, is both the best and the hardest thing. Um, but I think again, like the whole reason that I would hope to be intentional with my son or with any of my kids is because that, you know, we see a whole generation of people that never had that. And I don't know about your story, but you know, I, I didn't have a lot of what I needed growing up. And I had a lot of things I in fact didn't want or didn't need that as an adult, I've had to grow through and learn from. And so it, it has been really interesting to think like, whoa, I can actually help my kids not have that crazy of a journey just by being thoughtful now. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean like you're not going to blow up or yell or, you know, you're not going to literally just like lose your marbles when you are like, why why am I so mad that they want water? Why is water the problem, right? <laughs> and then you go into your bed. You know, it's so funny. You, you, you lash out at your kids and then you get in bed next to your significant other and you go, oh, they're just so cute, aren't they? I'm just, I wish I didn't blow up at them. You know, I just, oh, I'm so frustrated. You know, that's, that's what's going on. It's the, that's what's normally happening. So I, I think that is an interesting dichotomy. But if we can be intentional about the fact that we're not going to do it great. We've never been parents unless you've been a parent. And uh, that if you can, you know, not take yourself too seriously and work on stuff, I think there's a lot of things that you can give your kids, but also yourself. It's nice to have kids that love you, but also kids that are healthy, well-rounded. It's a huge gift. Yeah. Are you working from home at the moment or do you have a place where you go and get your work done? Um, currently, I, dude, I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I basically – we don't have offices as, as our crew. So my uh, in-laws actually live a four minute walk from me, from our house. So they moved to Bend and they live literally just four minutes from us, which is amazing. So they have space. So we, we do a lot of meetings together. So we'll meet at their house or I have various spots around the city that I, I hang, but no, I don't have like a proper office. I wish one day I will, but with all the things that I do, I, I end up traveling a lot and speaking a lot. So I'm also, you know, I'm in and out a lot. So that ends up, I, I don't always have a spot to land, but. Yeah. You're doing most yeah. of your speaking on the, on, on the parenting or are you just uh, sort of like itinerant preaching or how, how's it structured for you? Oh yeah. It's, it's kind of all over the place. Um, I do a lot of speaking events, speaking engagements, and they vary between the, the event or the topic. So sometimes it's a marriage thing. Sometimes it's a parenting thing. Sometimes it is preaching. Take a passage of scripture and talk about it. Um, and it's kind of a, it all depends like the event and the people and what the, the goal of the, the event is. So, um, we do that. Then we also do our own events, which are obviously more family, uh, oriented and parent oriented and marriage oriented. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of how it works out right now. It's real fun. I, I just shared this on, I, I, I just got back from Michigan and I had the, craziest travel experience it was terrible i actually on our podcast which i think came out what's today say wednesday uh, well, what's thursday oh, for you thursday, is it thursday for you yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. So, lot to look forward to brother it's nice oh is it thursday look okay thursday am i gonna good. be all right because thursday yeah i leave tomorrow or thursday my time for uh oklahoma which i uh. will see how that goes <laughs> there's some places you go you're like 
the state is just intriguing. The place I'm going is intriguing. And then there's places you go and you're like, I hope the people are great. I hope that the people are awesome. You that, know, cause that's this, just government central, oof. not government central, but there's like a lot of government buildings and things there, isn't there? What's Oklahoma? When I think of Oklahoma, I think of not much and, and just government departments. But I think that could be, no. I'm sorry to paint this picture, just Timothy McVeigh's uh, influence <laughs> on my mind. Oklahoma, man, I don't, I, I'll tell you when I get there. Um, you know, I can't remember. It's, it's Midwest. It's, it's a whole, it's tornado capital. So, you know, hopefully we won't see any of those. But yeah, that's a real thing. No, but um, yeah, I had this crazy travel experience and on both flights there and back, I had these crazy traumatic experiences where I was got up walking to the bathroom and this guy got up as well and he just passed out, hit the floor so hard. So I go back and I'm like, oh my gosh, this human just fell. So I start to help him up and he gets like his bearings and I make sure he's okay. And he's like, I was like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. So then I, I head back to the bathroom once he's stable. And then I feel this person leaning on me and it's him again. And he had passed out. So I turn around and I, you know, hold my arms out and I, I hold him and I slowly just fall down to the ground with him. It's where all of a sudden I am sitting in the middle of the aisle with my legs spread, my arms underneath his arms, his head leaning on my chest. And I'm just looking and I'm like, is there any doctors or anything like, and there was a doctor like actually sitting two seats ahead, which was great, but I'm holding this guy and he's passed out. Turns out he was okay. He had a condition that he knew about. He didn't take some medication or something. And so he ended up coming to after about 10 minutes and I'm holding this guy who I never got his name, by the way. Uh, he was really nice. We were really close after this whole thing. I just didn't get his name, but he looks up and he's just like, I'm so sorry. I was like, dude, it's okay. Like, fine. So, so that happened on the way there. And I was like, this can't get any more eventful. No more eventful. On the way back from this trip, this kid in front of me, sitting directly in front of me, um, had been eating a ton of candy. And I had heard his mom say multiple times, like, stop eating candy. Please stop eating candy. And he's playing video games, eating candy, just having the time of his life. What 12-year-old would love that? And he gets up and I see some commotion. So I take off my headphones and, and he's saying to his mom, Hey, I, I think, I think I'm going to throw up. And the mom's like, don't go back to the bathroom. Just grab the, grab the bag that's in front of the, the airline seat. And so she's looking for it, can't find it. And he literally just projectile vomits all over the lady that is sitting diagonally to my left, all over her arm, all over her shoulder, all over her leg. And the void, the noise this poor lady made was so, cause she realized what was happening. It was both like screaming in terror and disgust and just could not believe just like, she couldn't believe what was happening. And then, so he's throwing up, threw up on this lady. That was first shot. And then he keeps going. And because he's 12, he's not like covering his mouth. He just <laughs> immediately looks down and just starts going right center aisle, just on everything, which is right next to where my leg is. And so I'm wearing shorts and uh -huh. I'm trying to get away from it and just warm splatter all over my leg. Just all, <laughs> it doesn't stop. He just keeps going. No, <laughs> oh, and then I got my flight delayed. And oh. I couldn't get a hotel. Finally got a hotel, ordered some food through Grubhub. The guy the guy who was supposed to deliver it gave it to the wrong person. Somebody stole it. And then I found myself at a Taco Bell at one in the morning in, in Seattle questioning all my life. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what traveling gets you, man. That's what traveling gets. What a dream. <laughs> so hopefully it'll go. Oklahoma yeah, yeah, be it's the big life. Yeah, if I don't have any major, you know, emergencies on these flights, I'm down. Like I'm like, this is a great flight. Man, dude, I anyway. um, I told you, I told you, an hour and a half. I don't want to take up your your whole evening. I appreciate that you've uh, you're giving me a heap of time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go in a minute, man. But 
Dude, this was uh, this was everything I'd hoped for and more. It was so fun being able to tap into some uh, to some parenting stuff, but even even more fun tapping in and around uh, comedy and uh, and other other bits of culture. So, bro, thanks so much for coming sure. on. It's great to finally meet you and see your face, and I would love to do it again with you at some stage. Uh, now you're an official friend, and I got to got to send you birthday messages. It seems as though it's the it's the the appropriate next step. It's the appropriate next step, and as long as you'll be. My running coach, because that's a fascinating thing that you do. Yeah. What what is the what is the side thing that you're doing? What is that? What is that? That's probably your main. What is it that you do? The running coach thing. Yeah. So in terms of like, how is the running element of my? Yeah. What's it? What's it called? What's it? What's oh, it called? Relaxed running. That's great. Is it an app based thing? Relaxed running. It's um. It's not an app based thing at the moment. It's uh. I'm keen to get it put into an app, but I'm very fussy with with apps. I, I hate it when you. Go sure. into an app and it's laggy. And at the moment, to do a really high-quality app, I've made a few phone calls. I made a phone call probably a year and a half ago, and they're char- this is Australian dollars, but they were charging between yeah. sixty and 100000 uh, Australian dollars for a good app. And I'm like, yeah, I can't justify that just yet. No. So it's, a, it's an they're online thing, man. but it's not an app-based thing yet. Uh, but uh, no. I say yet because ideally, hopefully, the equivalent of Squarespace for phone apps comes out soon, and they work beautifully. <laughs> or things That's take off, and I can justify idea. it. <laughs> That's another business idea. That's what you need to do. For sure, you need to do <laughs> Squarespace for apps. No, man, that, absolutely. We, we will definitely make sure to send birthday texts. That's that is the the next right step. <laughs> that feels very appropriate. Awesome, brother. <laughs> well, hey, enjoy Oklahoma. Thanks again for coming on, man. That was a heap of fun. Honored. Thank you. Awesome. See you later, everybody.